Welcome to episode 30 of the Water Break Podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the Water Environmental Federation's Operator Challenge Competition. With us today is Alan Klum and Greg Hill, veterans of this challenge. Alan Klum has more than 20 years of experience working in water resource management and currently serves as the general manager at Mountain Pleasant Waterworks in South Carolina. And prior to his current position, he also served as operations manager, laboratory director, and director of environmental resources. Alan has remained actively involved in industry research and environmental protection through his service as research chemist, investigating the impact of emerging contaminants on the environment. Alan has a master's in environmental studies from the Medical University of South Carolina and a bachelor's in science from the College of Charleston. When not at work, Alan can be found spending time outdoors with his wife, Caroline, and three daughters, or catching a wave at the closest local beach. Welcome, Alan. Heather, thank you for having me. Glad to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. And Greg Hill is the operations manager at Mount Pleasant Waterworks and has been in the water industry for 38 years. He currently holds a level A in biological and treatment in water treatment collections and water distribution. He is now the WEASC competitions chair, Vaughn maintenance event coordinator, and the WEF MA coordinator and Vaughn Maintenance Coordinator in South Carolina. He's into traveling, the beach, fishing, riding motorcycles, bowling, and working on his property. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I am very excited about this. I've attended WEF now for a number of years, or I should say WEF Tech. Basically, they have an operator's challenge, and this is where the best of the best come to compete. But if you're a uh, operations challenge competitor, uh-huh. it is the Super Bowl events, the way I view it. I have been corrected. This is the Super Bowl. <laughs> Super Bowl of Operations Challenge. It is. And it's pretty dang awesome. I love watching it every year. So why don't you guys give us uh, a brief description of what this competition is? Greg, I'll let you start and then I'll chime in. The WEF Tech Operation Challenge event uh, consists of, well, I think they're going to have up to 50 teams this year, which would be a record. But normally it's the people that go to these events are state champions. Like if uh, South Carolina had three or four or five teams compete against one another, the the uh, champion would then uh, earn his right to go to the nationals and compete. And not every state has it. Uh, most every MA does. Uh, some MAs consist of two or three states. So you wouldn't have 50 teams total. MA is member association? Member association, yes, ma'am. Like ours is uh, the Water Environment Association of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hold two delegate chairs. And it really depends on how many delegate chairs that your state holds as to how many teams that you can send to the nationals. So uh, teams like Texas and, and California states, uh, Virginia states, they they can actually send three or four teams. Oh, wow. Yeah, we could been, compete in a lot of events, and uh, that's how you get there. You, you have to win your state to earn the right to go there. Awesome. Alan, what is your take on it? You know, Heather, my biggest, when you asked that question of what, what does Operations Challenge at WEF Tech mean to you, to Greg's point, we had to compete. My very first time on the team was back in uh, 08 in South Carolina. Well, you compete at a state level, and you have other sometimes good competitions in your state, and sometimes mm-hmm. the competition can be challenging. And so you win your state, and you get the right to go to WEF Tech. Well, I remember walking in, my first WEF Tech event was Chicago. And I remember walking in, so, you know, roughly 15 years ago. And you walk in and when you see the level of competition, the amount of teams, uh, really the professionalism that is at WEF Tech, it was overwhelming to me. And that's why I bring up that it was like walking into the Super Bowl. Um, All of a sudden, you've been competing at a state level against maybe three or four teams. 
-hmm. and you step into Weft Tech where there are 40 to 50 teams and everybody's bringing their A game. And it really just is a level of excitement that I had never experienced. So uh, just really an awesome event. And it definitely has a really good vibe. I mean, like the level of energy, the effort, like you said, the professionalism, it is just fun to watch. I haven't participated in it. I've only helped with the judging last year and I'm like, holy crap, this is intense. It's exciting. And those teams that are competing, they've put a lot of time into it. And, uh, you know, it is a very serious event for the teams. And I think that's the part that I love so much about this challenge, why you are preparing, why you're putting time to get ready for the big event. Um, you're also learning a lot of skills related to our industry. So you're being exposed to things outside of your normal job. You're practicing, you're training at a competitive level, and you don't even know how much you're learning. You know, you look back and you realize that you've gained all these skills, these relationships with your teammate, relationships with other teams, and you've been doing that all in this competitive environment, and you didn't even know that you were getting trained and really going to, to a skill building class. That's how much fun it is. So it's really to me, training an operator, I can't think of a better way to train a wastewater operator and to have fun while you're doing it. Awesome. He couldn't be, he couldn't be more correct. What you learn, it way exceeds what you can learn in the classroom because you have to learn so many different parts of what you do that you don't normally do every day, like laboratory, uh, engineering, uh, safety, mm -hmm. uh, and rebuilding a pump. Things like that you don't do on a regular day basis, but you have to learn it and you have to learn it really well. Boy, the knowledge you gain is far superior to what you learn in a classroom, no doubt. Yeah. And it puts it just in a fun platform. I think that's the part that I love so much is that rather than saying you're going to have to sit in a classroom and learn how to rebuild this pump or how to calculate this lab question, uh, when you put the element of competition behind it where you're competing against other utilities, you're learning all of that with, with the end in mind that you want to beat the other utility. And I think it just brings a level of excitement and, uh, and really motivation to learn that we wouldn't get otherwise. Well, and there's, there's five parts. You guys cover lab, safety, process, maintenance, and collections. I mean, this is a wide range of information they need to know. And I just think that's awesome. I think the, uh, with our team, when I had the opportunity to compete and what I really love, um, you know, four man team, that's who competes. And we typically have a coach that can also serve as a backup, but the four man team, uh, you mentioned there are five events. We each have different strengths in certain events. And so mm -hmm. uh, someone may be a champion of one of the events. That individual may work in the lab or work in the maintenance department or the collections department. So they're bringing their expertise to the team internally. Well, the other three teammates, they rely on that champion to share knowledge, to train them, to bring them up to speed. And it really builds a camaraderie with the team. So that by the time you get to WEFTEC, you're all somewhat skilled in each of those areas and you share that load of the event, but it's really built a strong team, uh, oftentimes cross-departmental within a company where uh, individuals are working together that might not have the opportunity every day to work together. So it, there's a huge benefit to the utility. That's awesome. So why don't you gentlemen cover how you got started and Greg, why don't you go first? <laughs> well, uh, it was in 1991, I know, uh, before dirt. Uh, but <laughs> well, it started in 1988, so you're pretty close. <laughs> it did. It was, we were very close. Uh, we had found I was here for a year at Mount Pleasant Waterworks, and we actually went to the first operation challenge here at the state. I'm like, wow, that, it, it was really intimidating at first. 
-hmm. but we decided to give it a shot. In our first year, we were on top of a hotel, uh, the Charleston Hotel, which is not really a good battleground. You could you could tell we were super low funded and everything. But uh, <laughs> you know, we had the laboratory director, we had two maintenance guys, and myself. And uh -huh. our coach really didn't know anything about anything. He was just, I think he was going for the party at the conferences. <laughs> so we, we won our first year and we really couldn't believe it. We had to beat four other teams within the state and we ended up going to a Toronto. So and once you do it once, and I'm sure Alan can test this, man, once you do it once, it gets in your blood, especially if you do kind of good. And, and the experience, like he was talking about, is crazy. So we went to Toronto uh, in 1991. It was very intimidating. I mean, these guys were wearing fancy shirts, uh, painted hard hats. They had all kinds of goodies, and they were just whooping our butt. I mean, they handed our hat to us. and mm -hmm. But it's it still, we did pretty good in the collection event, uh, which we actually placed. But the last, the other four events, we did really poor. But I can tell you, once it gets in your blood, you do it a long time. I guess I competed for another eight years after that. We won seven out of eight titles, something like that. All right. Got back into it. Then that's when we got Alan on board in 2008. I decided to get back on a team again. And because he was the laboratory director and we, that was one of the missing links that we had. We didn't have anyone good really that knew chemistry well. Mm -hmm. And boy, when we found Alan came, you know, and, and the other uh, thought the, the other teammates, what we brought to the table, man, we, we ended up with a pretty good group. We went on to win five straight state titles and we did really well in the nationals too. So that's kind of how I got started, man. I, I seen another team do it kind of like you were involved with as a judge. You kind of see what happens. I guess your competition skills, man, you kind of find it in yourself and it's not only fun, but that gets in your blood. You can't get it out. So many people I know are judges, ex-members. You just can't seem to get it out. It's like, even whenever I'm not competing. I want to go judge. I want to be a part of it for the rest yeah. of my professional career, you know, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Alan, what's your take on that? I think Greg has, has understated how beneficial he has been, uh, not only to our organization, but to our state to really launch Operations Challenge and move it forward. He's put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. I, it's really awesome to have an employee that dates back almost to the very first Operations Challenge event, and certainly in our state. So he kind of bridges that gap of knowledge. And I can remember when Greg came to my office to ask me if I was interested in Operations Challenge. And you know, the first question is, what are you talking about and what's the time commitment? Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge Let's time be real. Commitment. <laughs> Let's be real. You know, and you, you hear about the time commitment, you're like, oh, there's no way I can afford to give up that much time. A lot of it personal time uh -huh. until you get interested in it. And until you realize the, the competitive uh, nature and the bonding you make with your other teammates, it really does plug you into your work and it makes it exciting uh, to practice. So our team, you know, we, we pushed our team. We had some really strong competition in our state with other utilities, and we formed great friendships with those teams, but we were driven to beat them, and likewise, they were driven to beat us. Mm -hmm. And uh, steel sharpened steel, and I think our level of competition in our state really escalated. As our team went through different phases, Greg stepped out of that and moved into a leadership role in our state to really improve the way that our state operated and to try to make our state competition more in line with the national competition. If you're going to the Super Bowl, uh, you want to make sure that you're playing by the same rules in your state. And so Greg did just a phenomenal job trying to align 
our state competition with the national competition. And I think that change and that mentality that he brought to it really shifted our state and has pushed our state in a great direction. And, you know, now we have teams in our state that are routinely on the podium at the national in Division One and Division Two. Greg has done a phenomenal job first getting infected, as he mentioned, you know, once it gets mm-hmm. in the blood getting infected as a competitor and pushing our team to do better. And then subsequently in a leadership role, pushing our state to do better. So it's a, uh, you know, it does get in your blood and you get excited about it. And uh, you want to see other operators have that exact same enthusiasm. Well, I can tell you that just watching it for so many years and then participating in it, what, I mean, the smack talk, the ribbing, the, you can just see how everyone's there to, to encourage each other, but I want to beat you. Oh yeah. yeah. Kind of attitude. Yeah. And like, no, like do a good job. Come but out on top. You know, you want to win this thing, but I want to yeah. help you do do the best job you can do. But uh, at the end of the day, we want to stand on the podium. Yeah. So you guys mentioned earlier, a team coach and that the first one wasn't so effective, but what can a team coach do for a group? Over the, over many years, I've had many team coaches and, but when we started back up again in 2008, we didn't do so hot the first year. Then we found David Nisi, which he was actually our engineering manager. He kept us going and he he, pre- he created challenges within the challenge. He taught us how to focus and small sayings that would give us on wristbands and stuff like that would, uh, you know, stay focused, start strong, things like that. You know, he would misplace stuff and make us try to figure out how to do better. I'm telling you, a coach goes further than a lot of people realize because they're the ones get to watch everybody. Usually when you're competing, you're, you're worried about your own little world and how that meshes with the team he's the guy that looks at everything and makes you get better and better if you don't have a good coach believe it or not it's hard to improve all the time because uh he's not just someone sitting there watching you do something he's always thinking of ways to improve uh so he can look at all realms of any one event it really helps out a whole lot you got to have one you really do and i think that benefit greg hit the nail on the head but it's it's having an individual that can step back from the task being done and pay attention to everybody and everything and make sure that it's getting coordinated as it should and i think that you know the difference that our coach made you know greg mentions david is is david took it very seriously um, as did the competitors so i think you need to have a coach that is as competitive as the team members. He's not there for the party. He's not just going as a free ticket, um, which we've seen before, but he's going to really be a competitor and be as serious as any of the team members. And that, that makes a big difference. All right. So I have to ask, when did you gentlemen join the dark side of the operations challenge, meaning the judging side? I did in 2013 because Alan left our organization. (laughs) I I may have had something to do with that. He broke the team up and signed like, well, no. we might as well quit. We were second in the nation at the time in Division One, so we were feeling really good. But he went across the river, so we, we call it. And that's when I went on the dark side. I still wanted to stay involved. I kind of was just started out of just a, a regular judge in a maintenance event. And then they asked me if I wanted to be the chair for the state. And, and of course, I you know, I had all kinds of ideas from all those years of competing. I had a lot of ideas in my head that would have helped our team on a state level. So I employed that stuff in the state event. So that was when I went on the dark side of 2013. I got Alan, however, to start a little later and that'll be his story. 
<laughs> I think that's right, Greg. We So the team broke up for job-related reasons. And when we broke up, we all stayed very passionate about Operations Challenge. And so Greg got involved judging first. And then I think I followed a few years later. And it's interesting because now I think Greg and I would both agree that timing-wise, it, maybe it worked out because we were we're also aging. And uh, these competitors, these young guys compete, they are tough. Not to say that we couldn't still beat them, Heather, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know y'all can still kick oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, whoa, yeah, totally. But it is very physical. That's the part. And even for the judges, I mean, you're staying there. I, I was only in the lab part, but I kind of watched some of the other areas and you are in that spot watching. There's a checklist. Everyone's got to be hitting. And yeah, that's pretty intense too. Yeah, it's very physically demanding to compete. And I think once you get the passion, you know, once it bites you, you want to share some of the knowledge. And, and if there's any leadership roles that you can take advantage of, whether it's a coach, whether it's judging at your state, level, whether it's judging at the national level, um, you want to give back some of that experience that you've had. I think that's awesome. So we've talked about, you know, the intent of having the competition, but what other things like team building skills or things that you thought of? You mentioned certifications in one of our discussions. You know, the biggest thing for me, Heather, we could discuss team building, communication skills, the, uh, you know, opportunities for advancement that I think Greg and I have both taken advantage of. Probably the biggest thing that I've noticed amongst the team members is just building trust amongst each other. Um, mm -hmm. So all those skills are important and, and you know, can be vital to your, uh, to your advancement within your company. But I think also you just build a trust with each other. As you travel with each other, as you compete, man, we did it so often that you know exactly how someone's going to respond in a certain situation. You really get to know that individual. And so I think the amount of trust that it brings to your company with those employees, that is so important to me. And I think it's just this competition and the traveling and the camaraderie really help build that foundation of trust. I think it would show in the field too. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's so many people that I've known over the years, the camaraderie. I mean, it turns into a brotherhood. Your fellow teammates, you're with them more than anybody. So you're kind of brothers, but it seemed like all these people from all these other teams across the nation and the world turn into a brotherhood. But a lot of people are now managers and now are in high positions, you know, so it really puts advancement out there as well, being a part of this. So many people I know have advanced through their organization because of the Operation Challenge. That's awesome. So with your guys' experience, how has it changed over the years? I noticed like this year, there were a lot more women than over the past few years. That's a good point, Heather. I think the competition in my mind, you know, every year it gets a little bit better, a little bit faster. It's just a, uh, you know, it evolves just like our careers and technologies uh, have evolved in the workplace. It evolves as well. So it's, it's always fun to watch. And to your point of the diversity of the competitors, that has also changed just like it has in our workforce. It is great to see, you know, Greg mentioned international teams. We have international teams that show up and it's just so much fun to watch it every year, get a little bit better and a little bit more competitive. Yeah, I think in, in maybe it was 2010. I can't remember when the commode commandos won it. And they, they, I still they won, I love they, their they names. Won everything. And they were, they were the first team that really won with a woman on their team. And I think she, uh, by doing that, has really opened the door. And actually, South Carolina in 2000, I believe it was 2017 or 18, we had the first all women's team ever. Uh, so it was, oh, yeah. it was great that we were able to do that here in South Carolina. But man, I think she really started up. I can't remember she's name. Uh, but yeah, she was on the Commode Commandos. They won it all. And I think that really helped uh, as far as genders are, you know, respectful to gender. 
Yeah, broke broke the door open. And Greg, yeah, the you know Charlie's Angel, the first South Carolina all girls team named after a digester at their plant that they called Charlie. You gotta love the names, Heather. I mean, the names of these teams are great. I'm like, I think there was like what Brown Tide and uh, gosh. I'll give you an example. Like, who's coming to South Carolina this year? We have a Skidmark. Oh gosh. We have the Smooth Operators, the Predators, the Bow Wizards, the Dirty Birds, and the Turdologists. So. Uh, Imagine that. They come up with some crazy names, these guys. Oh, yeah. And the shirts are even better. The <laughs> uniforms. Right. The uniforms are even better. I'm like, that's a water bear. <laughs> Brown Todd came here a uh, year before last, too. We like the Jersey guys. Those, those are good, good dudes. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, now there's an international component. We talked about, you know, you guys had people come here to the U.S., but do we go out of states as well? The answer to that is yes. And the Mount Pleasant team was actually invited last year to go to IFAT, which was in Munich, Germany. Mm -hmm. So we sent a team to compete internationally, uh, which is just really an awesome opportunity for our staff members. That part just blows me away. I'm like, not only can you take over the U.S., you can take over the world. Yeah, you operations. Go. well, and what is so cool is I had the chance at uh, WEFTEC this past year. Um, obviously, we had a team there. But some of the members that competed on the German team uh, that were at IFAT, they were they came to WEFTEC. Well, you know, they hung out with that. The relationships that our team made with their team, you know, they had dinner together. They hung out together. They helped each other. Those relationships are just such a big part of job satisfaction and purpose and understanding what we do and why we do it. Uh, really cool to watch uh, the, two, the teams interact. That's cool. I wanted to cover as well for the listeners, just kind of quickly what each section includes. Like and when we say lab, what does that mean? You know, safety, what are you going to be doing? Can you all give us a summary? That each of the, the areas of focus, you know, they're designed to represent a scenario that you might encounter at work. Um, mm -hmm. They change over time, so they're not static. But for the lab event, for example, it may be a total suspended solids analysis going on on one table and a TDS analysis, total dissolved solids analysis on another table. There's a testing component, um, but it is to replicate skills that you would use in the laboratory to analyze wastewater samples. That's, the scenarios may change from year to year, but that's the concept. It's something you would do at work. We try to put a time to it. Um, obviously, you wouldn't operate a laboratory under a stopwatch in real life. Yeah. <laughs> but we try to make the scenarios as close as we can while also adding a little bit of competition to it. I will say that when I came to be part of the, the lab team, I was happy to find out they were using just plain potable water <laughs> and not wastewater samples. I was like, I am ready for the splash zone. Let's do this. You know. <laughs> well, in the past, we have tried to use real samples and wastewater samples, at least in our state competition. And uh, yeah, you learn really quick that that makes the cleanup harder. Uh -huh. um, it's much easier to stick with uh, potable <laughs> water. Okay. And how about the rest, Greg? Well, the, the process control uh, back in the day, uh, they would just give you a lot of math questions way uh -huh. back. Now you had, now you get short math questions and you have computer simulators. So now they give you a computer at the process control table and you have a computer and you have to make this plant that's not working well, work well by using uh, computer simulation. Uh, do you increase this, decrease that? Uh -huh. uh, so it's gotten super technical with the process control. I mean, they, they might ask you, uh, if there's a, a, a 10 mile wide lake that has different size edges and the evaporation rate over a year with the rainfall being this, I mean, it could get bad. 
Ooh. you might not even get through one question and they only give you 20 minutes. So if you can get through all of them, it's crazy. Uh, but wow. the, that computers are really big. And as far as safety event, uh, they have to go in and they have to, there's a platform as I, you may have seen it with. Yeah. Before a guy down there, they have to save the mannequin. So they're saving his life. They'll get him back up and treat him while they have to uh, replace something, some type of uh, piping or whatever it may be. It changes. Uh, mm -hmm. But not only have to save a life, you have to go down there and repair whatever it is that particular victim was working on. And you really need to do that within about three to four minutes. <laughs> so you got to be really fast. Uh, collection systems. Uh, wow. That's that's the high paced, super fast, super crazy event. High that is wild. Uh, where they have to cut the pipe. They have to cut two pieces, another piece of pipe next to it. They got to use this piece of pipe to fix this piece of pipe and just moving everywhere. A lot of moving parts. And you need to really, to be competitive, you need to do that in around 90 seconds. And it's doable. I've seen it. It's very doable. And it's and you better be good because uh, split seconds are the difference between uh, being first or fifth or eighth even. It's yeah. really crazy. That is the super physical, super high adrenaline event that I never really cared for because I always had to cut the pipe. And, <laughs> and I, wasn't, I wasn't the biggest guy there. And I guess the I'm like, Greg, you gave it blood, sweat, and tears, man. It was rare that, uh, that, that Greg didn't finish cutting where he wasn't bleeding on something. <laughs> You're oh, right shit. about that. A lot of blood and sweat. And Good tears. thing that part, safety wasn't part of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to put this armbands on my arm just to keep from cutting them up because I'll, I was like, uh, I didn't realize I was cut until after the event, you know, the stuff, because you're so, you're so in the moment that you really don't feel anything. You're just focused on what's at hand and it's super crazy. The collection event is super crazy, but we always did pretty good at it. And finally, the maintenance event. I would say you uh, telling me that they made special rules because of you. They did. I guess word got out last year that uh, our guys had found a shortcut that was going to save them about 10 seconds, which 10 seconds is like. A whole minute in another event. It's just huge. Well, mm -hmm. word got out. I guess uh, one of the guys on the team had actually mentioned it to one of his best friends that worked that was competing with another. Oh. And they turned him in. And I don't think they're friends anymore. But yeah, oh. they, <laughs> but they definitely changed the event overnight, right before the challenge the next day. So uh, yeah, but that's the way the challenge is. Uh, honestly, uh, if it's not written, it's legal. You've got to find holes and loopholes and every, I mean, you really dissect every sentence in a procedure and find ways that you can improve. Uh, and if it's usually, if it's not written, it's legal. Uh, and uh, you can make- Within reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how you get good, man. And you practice so many times over and over and over and over for months getting prepared for these events. Mm -hmm. And that finally the maintenance event, I've always been part of the maintenance event. It's been dear to my heart. But uh, as Waterworks, we've always done really well at that event. I think we probably won eight of the last 10 titles in the maintenance event. But uh, only only a few years ago, we actually used real electricity and moved real water instead of simulating it. So now at the events, we actually have uh, pumps pumping water. So it's, it's, it's more dangerous because you have voltage. You have real live 230 voltage. And you're actually moving water, so uh, that that event has went a long way. And I'm I'm coordinating that event this year for the next four years on the WEF level. So we're we're really we're ready to get it kicked off here in about a month and a half here in in South Carolina. So, so if people have questions, they should contact you. Yeah, they can, but uh, I have to tell them to go to the website because 
any question, even my own guys, if they ask me, I have to tell all the other teams. In other words, you can't just tell answer one guy because it's not fair that you answer this guy and he might have found a shortcut and the other 10 or 40, even 40 teams don't know anything. So we make them go on the uh, on the Operation Challenge resource site to actually ask a question over the site, and then I put my answer on the site so mm-hmm. every team competing can look at that answer. So levels the playing field. Every little thing, man. I mean, these guys take it so serious, and they will throw a, they will throw a protest flag on you in a heartbeat if they found out that you give someone a little information that they didn't have. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you put the most creative problem solving people in a high pressure situation and they're going to find a way to make this happen. Absolutely. And that's what I love about it. Now, what about those final results? How do those come together? The final results is like scoring. Yes. Well, uh, each event has its basically when like in the maintenance event, uh, what I do with the penalties if something, if there's a task that takes 10 seconds and they, they choose to skip it or skip it by accident, normally the penalty will be double that. So you'll get a 20 second penalty on something that takes you 10 seconds. Ooh. That eliminates them skipping things on purpose to make the event go faster. Every event has different penalties. Like the lab, Alan has different time assessments for smaller penalties, depending on how long that particular task could last. And it, all five events are different. So they mm-hmm. just, group everything all together with everybody's times and uh, that's how they figure out the winner i mean you have to be consistent and you have to be probably top three in all five events in order to win that's basically scoring got it yeah and don't forget the banquet i mean that's the uh that's oh the after party yeah the after party so when you said how do we know who wins that's the big unveiling so we get together tuesday after the event at wef a nice dinner and everyone sits down and they announce the winners. And it's just a, what a great event. It's a good time. All the teams are in a room having fun, recapping and telling stories about the day. Okay. Now, Alan, you make it sound like it's some professional, calm event. It is very professional. I don't know about calm. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely not calm. It's a hootenanny or even more with alcohol. <laughs> Oh my goodness. We have a good time. Everybody's blowing off steam. They've competed to the best of their ability, uh, commiserating if there were mistakes made and also kind of anticipating the result. Yeah, it's a big time. Yeah, this last year was the first one I've been to and I'm like, this is wild. This is great. So you went you went to the reception? Oh, yes. Okay, great. Yeah, I'd heard stories. I wanted to make sure I understood it. <laughs> now, one thing we haven't covered yet is how the teams are broken up. What kind of divisions and stuff there are? Well, uh, no matter what, if you start off your division two, that's where you start. They have just... As of last year, they've created Division Three, and that's for teams that may not have four team members, may only have two or three, or it's their first year doing ever doing anything at all. Because uh, there's a lot of teams that want to compete that are in states that have no MA or have no competitions. So really, the only chance they get is to put a request into WEF if they can compete, and then they'll say yes, you can be D- Division Three. That's kind of where you just break your teeth in a little bit. But most times, and most teams, probably 40 out of 50 teams will be Division. Two. Two, 
And if you land on the podium in Division Two, first, second, or third, then you have you're eligible then to go Division One, and you'll go right back to Division Two if you don't do well. So you've got to be a big dog, and you got to stay a big dog to go to Division One because those are the the champions of the champions. They're the ones I want to fix my street in the middle of the night. <laughs> those guys are good, and they got a whole different set of judges because they need you need really good judges because they truly take this so seriously like if it were their real job it's it's something else awesome well and i have to say though that during the judging and stuff i couldn't tell who was division one two and three there were just so many people yeah if you have they call them reactors but they're like in the maintenance again they had five maintenance events set up you probably like you've seen the lab event y'all had several different events of the exact same thing well they'll put division one all on one reactor that way everything they're using the same equipment the same tools, the same everything, and that applies to all five events. So they're on the same page. They're, they take it so serious that they don't want teams, a Division One team, going over and working on maybe possibly an easier pump that might be a Division Two pump. It eliminates a lot of uh, protesting and whining and stuff like that because we definitely whine. <laughs> what? We just talked about professionalism, and you're talking about what? <laughs> Yeah, they, they but they're professional crybabies sometimes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm gonna let you say that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> they would laugh at me because I know all of them guys. I, you know, I know hundreds of these guys, so they all know me pretty good. I know them pretty well, so we we can get we we can get away with it. Nobody else can but us. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, I was gonna say, were there any lessons learned or tips or tricks you guys have got to share as we're you know kind of winding down here? Read the rule book. Rule book. Okay. <laughs> Read the procedure. Yeah. Understand it. And I, I can tell you there, there, there's a lot of companies and organizations that view the operation challenges and not only an opportunity, but they want to try to get a lot of their guys involved. Like uh, take HRSD, for example, in, in Virginia, they change their team members to team members every year. Well, it's hard to get really good because it's not just synchronized. You learn one another, you develop a, a chemistry uh, so to keep one team together for as long as possible will lead to absolute positive results, no doubt about it. And if you keep putting new people on the team, you've really got to train them. you got to see, do they perform on game day or do they fall apart? You find out those things. And once you find a good four or five guys, because usually you want to spare uh, and, and develop a lot of chemistry, that's where you end up in Division One every time. If you stay together and learn each other like brothers. Yeah, and to Greg's point, stay after it. That'd be my biggest piece of advice. That first time you see it, it's going to be overwhelming. Uh-huh. Uh, but stay after it as a team. You'll advance quickly. You'll pull together. Uh, you will improve faster than you think you could. So stay with it. That's awesome. Well, for any of our listeners that are interested and want to kind of see what these each section of these challenges are, we're going to include those videos in the show notes. So please feel free to review those and check them out. But Alan and Greg, I want to thank you so much for taking time today to just talk about this. I mean, you guys are passionate about it and I love it. You got it. I appreciate the time. Yeah, man, that was, it was, it was great. And I'd be glad to answer any questions that anyone may have. Being the MA coordinator, that's kind of what I do. I try to get MAs across the nation that haven't uh, had a competition or what they need to do to get a competition or what's involved with it. So that's kind of what I do as an MA coordinator. Awesome. But ask the questions through the website. Well, yeah. If you, if you're trying to get a team going, call me directly. 
Okay. If you're, if you're asked something in the in the collections event, you know, like how many turns do you do on this? Then I couldn't answer those. <laughs> Fair enough. Just wanted to clarify. That way you don't get like 60 different calls tomorrow. <laughs> well, they can, by all means, they can call me. I'll be glad to help. Awesome. Okay. Well, with that, we want to transition to over what we call Wanda's Water Tidbit. This is where we celebrate the unusual and sometimes brilliant things in water and in the world itself. But today we're going to talk about the mighty recyclers of manure, the dung beetles. And have you gentlemen ever seen one before? I have seen a dung beetle and I like the mighty recyclers of water. I kind of, that's kind of what we do every day yeah. around here. So I guess uh, have more in common with the dung beetle than I thought. Maybe. <laughs> There are 6,000 different species, though, in the world, and they can be found on all the continents except Antarctica and farmland, forests, grasslands, prairie, deserts. They've been there, so you might have seen them. But, Alan, where did you say you saw them before? Heather, I used to work in a laboratory. They did research, and I believe they were using the beetles. I'm not certain if it was to eat dung or to eat, you know, flesh off of bones or something along those lines. Oh, my. But I think they're pretty heavy consumers is what I understand. Okay. So on one of the sites I was uh, reading, it talked about how they could find the manure deposit or pats from like herbivores from the cows and elephants in like 15 seconds after the pad is dropped. That's amazing. I mean, I've seen beetles uh, under, uh, like hell, we're going to call it dung, dung of dogs and animals, uh, but I've never... Uh, from what I've watched from animal channels, I don't, they are always going backwards trying to make a little ball out of it. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I just looked at one of them 6,000 species. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, they can move a ball, ball of dung about 40 times bigger than themselves. And they do it using their back legs. What I thought was interesting is that they use sunlight. Um, some have even adapted to moonlight or even the Milky Way to coordinate where they're going to take that poo ball. Yeah, they carry a lot of dung. I'm like, I never thought of using the stars to move dung, like, you know, but hey, if it works, right? Them things are workhorses too, man. They don't give up on that piece of dung, man. If they're if that thing rolls back down the sand hills, they're going right down, they're giving it another shot. <laughs> you know, they're not giving it up. Just like our operators, Greg, you got to stay with the dung until the job is done. There you go. Oh my gosh, we might have there's to make our, that a bumper sticker. <laughs> You got to stick to it. There you go. Well, there, there's actually three different groups of them, though. There's rollers, like we've been talking about, and then there's tunnelers and dwellers. And the last two you don't see as much because they actually uh, bury into the, the portion of the dung or basically take it under the ground. But that's where they, you know, lay their eggs, have their young have a home kind of deal. They're actually very critical to recycling of the waste. I was surprised that they used them in Australia. They had some metal ends that were destroyed by some non-native cow pats. Basically cows came in and did their business, but they brought in dung beetles between 1968 and 1984 to recover those metal lands so they could use them for grazing again. I'm like, here's your job. Take care of this. <laughs> Tough job, um, but somebody's got to do it. That's right. You got to roll that dung somewhere. But, uh, yeah. So that's our little segment on, on dung beetles. And uh, Alan and Greg, thank you for your indulgence with our tidbit today. That's good, Heather. I hope uh, hopefully you will be a judge again this coming year. Look forward to seeing you again. Well, sign me up. I'm for it. Done. Absolutely. And you're and you're welcome to come to the South Carolina where our show's on uh, March 11th and March through March 12th. Maybe see you there. I'll have to keep that in mind. Well, Heather, any of your uh, any of your listeners 
out there that are interested in getting involved in any of these events as a judge, please reach out. Uh, I know that we're always looking for judges and it's a great way to get a taste of what Operations Challenge might be. So there are always opportunities to get involved. And we're going to have both Greg and Alan's contact information in the show notes. So they're the peeps to get a hold of, as well as links, like I mentioned before, to the videos and the WEF uh, website where you can get more information. But with that, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. Thank you. Yep. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad spectrum line of biostimulants and nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. You can find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.